Oh, I can think of one thing. <laughs> it was a, a film with a giant cake on it. And this cake had to have a dead body in it. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Hello and welcome back to Crew Chats. We had a little break but are back with a whole bunch of new episodes. I spoke to food stylist for TV and film, Catherine Tidy. Her job entails so much more than the title suggests. So if you've ever wondered where the food comes from whilst watching, a film or TV show, whether it's a banquet or a restaurant scene, tune in to find out more. Catherine grew up surrounded by the world of film as her father was a director of photography. However, she never had the intention of joining the film world. But after studying cooking at the Leith School of Food and Wine, Catherine started working as a location caterer, where she met food stylist Debbie Brody, who she began assisting for and thereafter took over when Debbie retired over 10 years ago. Catherine began food styling on mainly BBC dramas and has gone on to work on a variety of TV and films from Emma, Macbeth, The Crown, Avengers, Age of Ultron and Killing Eve to name a few. Hello Catherine. Hello, nice to meet you. Likewise, nice to virtually meet you yeah. too. Yeah, virtually meet you. Yeah. Um, now, so you are a food stylist which sometimes comes under the bracket of home economics. So for you, and you work in the film and the television industry, I'd be correct in saying, yes. what does that involve? Basically, if there is a scene where actors are eating, uh, say like a restaurant scene, or it could be a medieval banquet, or it could be um, a tray of canapes at a party, any kind of food that could be eaten or any food that's dressing. So it could be a buffet display that never gets touched. Um, I get hired by the set decoration department to, to do that facet so like they they would hire a florist to do the flowers they hire me to do the food I, I'm hired predominantly by set decorators or the or the production set deck buyer um, and I work with them as part of their team so I'm a weird offshoot of set ah. deck oh that's really interesting you mentioned the restaurant scenes now in my head watching something I would have just assumed if now this is really silly actually now that I think about it but if I if they were filming no, you a scene it's a real restaurant and they yeah really and food. they've just used the food um, from the restaurant <laughs> yeah. uh, yes most people you just assume that often the restaurant isn't really a restaurant it's a soundstage somewhere and they've built a restaurant they do quite often film in real restaurants because it looks like a restaurant it's got tables and chairs you don't have to hire them in but they usually film on a restaurant on uh, a Sunday when the restaurant's closed so there's no chef there there's no staff so they have to hire someone to come in and do the food sometimes I mean uh, some films they will shoot in a restaurant I I mean I I did a a film where it was it was an opera house and it had in-house catering and they uh, as part of the deal of them filming there they said they do the food but the art department were very nervous about it they they got me in to supervise it because there was a whole stunt where um, it was actually a James Oldfield and he's running through this restaurant 
and they were worried that sauce would get on his tuxedo and the whole thing would be a disaster and it, it was you know so I, I went through check their menu pick things that I thought we could dress and then I actually went back a couple of weeks later when they actually filmed it and it was a night shoot it was a good thing because the restaurant staff all sort of went they got bored of it because filming oh it's fun no it's not that fun and they all disappeared <laughs> so I was there redressing all the plates with the standbys and, and doing the breakaway um, glasses and what have you because he lit people got shot um, I mean fake shooting yeah, uh, yeah. and they had they had somebody like hit a table and they have what they call breakaway glasses so it's all they're all fake so that you can um, nobody's going to get hurt they're not going to get cut so they they fall into the table and there's all destruction um, and it's all safe but they had to have non-saucy food that's not going to make too much of a mess and that we can redo um... it and repeat it for take one two and three so Oh, wow. As you've mentioned that sort of take aspect. Now, I've um, people that haven't been on a film set may not know that there's often it's more than one shot, like you say, it's multiple, yeah. sometimes maybe even five, six, seven, eight shots of something in different angles yes. and you know, whatever it may be. Now, in terms of that for the food, when you've made something, say in that case is quite different because I guess a restaurant was housing it, but you've made pre-prepared food for some for a scene and they're take they've done then five or six shots but that food has been eaten are you then obviously you're making are you making not obviously you make are you making again. multiple are you, you make it multiple? again you make yeah. it about i which is the other part of my job I, I it's not just that i dress the food just the once i'm there to do repeats so they if it if it was i mean any kind of a scene where they're eating if they're in a dining room it, that's in somebody's home or if they're in a restaurant or whatever they're eating They'll shoot it, they'll do like a wide shot uh, of mm. the room and then they'll do close-ups. And the, the, there might be more than one set up, so they'll do two people in one shot. And the, uh, So I'll do a plate of food and a lot of it I pre-cook. And if it's something like steak and chips, I'll cook it there. They'll set me up a little kitchen on the side of the set and I'll cook it and do it to oh. order. So I'll do the first plate and that will go on the table and then they'll either move it around the plate because often actors they know they're going to be doing this for a day possibly a day and a half so they pace themselves you don't want to get yourself sick by eating loads of steak and chips um so they'll nibble a bit and I might give the the standby props who are there doing repeats of you know if they drink the wine they for continuity they measure how much wine is in the glass and then they top it up so it looks the same so it, it all makes sense when they're filming it so I'll give them like okay here's a bowl of chips so they might top them up give them a couple of those trips then when they um and for sort of health and safety reasons obviously yeah. you can't give them the same piece of steak all day because no. yeah uh so when they they do one setup they'll do I don't know five or six takes and then they'll move the camera and at that point the actors step off and they move and they relight and then I will do a completely fresh plate of food for when they come back so um you can get through quite a lot of food <laughs> I was gonna Depending, say, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you try. I do find most actors are pretty professional enough to know we're on this a while, so let's not eat too much, or we'll just eat the green beans, or we'll just eat the chips, and they don't mess about with the steak too much. But sometimes they're scripted that they've got to be eating like ravenously. He's come in and he's ravenously eating everything. So some poor, some poor actor. I've done scenes where they literally have to had to chow down, and you're like, "Do you oh. want a spit bucket?" Not to be too indelicate, but you know. So because to try, it's not easy. It's not easy being an actor. <laughs> 
many reasons, but so, you know, and I think a lot of them really hate food teams because they know we're on it a day, uh, all day, or, or two days. Or uh, I've done food teams that have lasted for weeks. So oh, wow. it's just if they've got sort of special effects or something, and then they can have the same plate of food in front, and that gets very, very, very tedious. I was going to say it's a it's kind yeah. of going on a diet without really wanting yes. to go on a diet, it, yes, <laughs> one exactly. that you know nothing so, about. Yeah, which is why when you do a restaurant scene. Uh, say I mean there's lots of other things I do not just restaurants but you will suggest a menu and they get to pick something you know like here are three alternatives you say is it starter is it dessert is it main course uh and they're like okay I will have the chicken or I'm a vegan uh uh, so I will have the veggie option and what so they can pick what they've actually got in front of them and I always try to give them something bland like you know green beans or some you know bland vegetable that they can just kind of cut that up and eat that rather than have to spend two days eating lots and lots of uh, whatever so how do you start and what is the research process because you've worked on a variety of films whether it be something modern in a restaurant or something medieval yeah. like you worked on Macbeth as well or something fantastical yeah how do I start well generally uh, I'll get rung up by somebody uh the assistant set decorator the set decorator sometimes the buyer and they're like we're doing this and we've got a number of food scenes uh are you available and I'll say yes I am I work Mm. with a lot of the same set decorators in the same art departments they 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 always ring me and yeah I'm like okay I can fit you in or I can't fit you in there's too much um and I tend to say yes to the people Mm. that I know always and I'll fi- I'll figure out I'll be able to slot you in because I have a team because obviously I say yes to more than one film at once uh, because they send you the initial inquiry and they go we start shooting September 23rd and like do you have a schedule no <laughs> so I have no idea when the food scenes are going to come anywhere in the like, okay, well, we'll worry about that. In principle, I'm saying yes. And then we'll worry about the logistics of it as, as we get to it. And sometimes they clash, which is why I have assistants. So sometimes they stand in and we just juggle it and make it work somehow. But yeah, so they, they'll, I might come in for a meeting. They might send me a list of the food scenes and it could be really simple. If, it, if it's a big period thing, then I'll generally go in and have a meeting and they'll say, OK, it's this sort of a dinner or this is a banquet for the king or if it's for, you know, X, Y and Z. For instance, Victorian Abdul, I did the food on that. And they've got a, a huge banquet that we shot at Greenwich and there were various smaller scenes with her, like I think it was a breakfast scene. And there was also, which there was a scene in that film that that just when I went for the initial meeting, I thought well, I've died and gone to heaven. It's like there's a tent of jellies because I love a jelly. I, 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 that I'm sort of known for them yeah. because they're, they're beautiful. And, and when they said to me, it's a tent mm. full of jellies, I'm like, oh, well, they go. That, that's me, mate. And so I did do the scene. There were over 50 jellies in this tent because basically Ab, um, Abdul and um, they say, you're going to carry a jelly. And he's like, what's a jelly? He's, he's from India. He's never come across a jelly. He's no idea what it is. Um, and uh, so he then carries this jelly and presents it to Queen Victoria. And they did when they shot it, they shot lots of scenes in the tent and you see all the jellies and then then the first AD said to me oh okay the next shot we're going to do POV jelly which is point of view so they actually did a shot through the jelly and they had the DP sitting on the camera dolly and he's holding the jelly on on a plate uh, and he's slightly wiggling it so it jiggled um, in front of the camera and they shot through it so it's a big I mean it's actually in the finished film you see it there's a shot of the jelly slightly 
you know, jiggling right in front of it. And I'm like, that's it. I've died. I could retire now. My jelly. <laughs> Point of view jelly. That's it. Because I, I, I often do like a big whole buffet display of food and they put 50 extras in front of it. And you don't see any of it in the finished film. And I think, oh, well, OK. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of effort for nothing. But I got some nice pictures and I've added to the ambience for the actors. But yeah. Um, yeah, you never see any of that in the finished film. So to actually have a, a big shot of something I've made is 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 a plus. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was on that set actually. It was pretty amazing. The setup. Yeah. I remember thinking it was so beautiful. The colours and everything. It just looked beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. And I had to do a couple of jellies because because they were intending to do this shot of the jelly. And uh, Stephen Frears, the director, wanted specifically to know what the jelly was going to look like. So I sent pictures of a couple of jellies and he picked the one he liked the most of. Uh, <sighs> because, you know, for the hero POV, I'm, really, there's never usually this much rush about a jelly, but because it was so pivotal for the scene. Yeah, but in, in terms of, in reference to that, like you said, you do multiple types of eras, periods. Yeah. I mean, when you have that conversation with the, set deck department how true to the period do you have to keep it or do you have an element of freedom with how you design something like that um depends on the film uh i i I mean basically i'll go in and have a meeting they'll have some ideas of they'll Mm. be what's in the script they might well have done a mood board of not so much the sometimes it's a mood board with pictures of food uh but it's it's a lot this is the tablecloth this is the wallpaper this is this is what the set's going to look like um we want to create uh, an effect from the food um there's there's a production designer and uh called sarah greenwood and a set decorator called katie spence who work together all the time and they're very often very specific about what they want and what colors everything should be they, they want to make some kind of a statement yeah. with the food so um i i just well last year i did rebecca which just oh. debuted on uh, netflix for them and at the very beginning she meets max de winter in the south France and they flew me out to the South France it's lovely I don't get that very often but uh, on that film I did and it was all beautiful and romantic and they're staying in this fabulous hotel um, that's meant to be in Monte Carlo and uh, all the food is beautiful and it's all French and it's 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 just brightly coloured and gorgeous and then she comes back with him she marries him and then comes back to England to stay in his house Mandalay which has uh, Kirsten Scott Thomas as the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers. And then everything is mm-hmm. not bright and colourful. We wanted we wanted sort of ominous fruit displays. That that was that was what we were going with, dark wow. colours. And everything, you know, there's a scene in the servants' hall where they're eating and the food had to be just sad. And, you know, so it's like a cloud then falls over her. So you take all the colour out of the food. They had very specific ideas about what they wanted. So sometimes um, you get a lot of input. Sometimes the set decorator will say, well, this is what's scripted. What do you think? And I will then go off and find because I have a, quite a large collection uh-huh. of cookbooks, a lot with pictures. Uh, I mean, the thing, the trouble, of course, with period, the, the further back you go, the less illustrations there are. There's not food photography no. in 1831, but there are pictures and there are 
descriptions so you can send and then I can send them references of things I've done to say this is what a Georgian table might look like so here you go um or this is what a medieval banquet might look like so then I work with them I suggest they pick things they like then we come to a conclusion of what and then I'll do a, a sort of menu I might do a table plan with okay this is going to be the pie with the swan on top of it this is going to be the open tart and this is going to be and then of course if the actors are eating you have to find out what their dietary requirements are if anybody's got any allergies if they're gluten-free if they're vegan and then you've got to work out because that can be a, a challenge because not an awful lot of vegetarians in in no. the 13th century so then you're like okay well they're having a big banquet um, what can they actually eat because they're vegans and they're not going to eat the spit roasted pork because yeah they're vegans so you have to work around that so that can be an interesting challenge that was actually one of my questions I guess in that so like if an actor has a dietary requirement or an allergy like you said they're vegetarian or vegan um yeah if they but if in that scene they have to be eating meat for example I don't know King Henry and he's having a I'm very generalizing here yeah. he's having his piece of meat but the actor is a veggie what do you do <laughs> last year I had to do southern fried chicken on the bone and he ah. was vegan so uh yeah and I actually just had to do a sample for um they were doing a camera test with some different actors and it was pepperoni pizza and one of the the actors involved was dairy-free gluten-free vegetarian so pretty much the only thing on the pepperoni pizza they could eat was the tomato sauce so you then have to come up with like the gluten-free base the the dairy-free cheese and make a pizza that looks like a pepperoni pizza that that is suitable for someone with all those allergies oh, yeah. so um and yeah that it can be challenging the, the southern fried chicken that were that was i had to do a show and tell i had to i had to work out to do it for a start and the prop department made me ceramic bones oh wow <laughs> because because he was he was a a very sincere vegan in in that you know uh he's no leather could be used on the set oh, wow. it was all really yeah so uh, it's not like because I have done in the path I've, I've made like a fake chicken drumstick and I've taken a chicken bone and cleaned it and put it stained it in Milton fluid and 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 then I've wrapped sort of vegan meat and then I actually used samosa wrappers and deep fried it to make it look like oh, chicken wow. skin so I have done weird things that that is another component of my job um I do get run up saying, oh he's got to eat raw garlic or he's got to eat this it's scripted that he's chowing on a tablecloth or <laughs> and uh I mean li I literally I sometimes have the most ridiculous conversations with people and think this is my <laughs> job but I'm talking to somebody and he's got to eat something stupid and what can we make it out of that he can eat um like it, like a like, like a raw egg uh they've been starving on a boat they finally land and he finds a bird's nest he eats a raw egg um which was actually made from it, the the outer part of it the shell was um chocolate and then inside was i'm trying to remember what it was called it's, it's a specific kind of confectionery thing that they they use to decorate cakes to do tears on on cakes oh. um it's a kind of gel uh and i put that inside and it all had to go in the buyer's hand luggage to the canary islands because that's the, where they were wow. shooting and all these actors uh, had been because at the start of the film um they're all healthy and then they get shipwrecked and they they then 
were reducing their diet to get them to lose weight. So they all looked emaciated. Uh, so they were down to sort of like 700 calories a day. I mean, it was all very well supervised. And they did the, the scene at the very end where they get the shit run. And of course it's sugar. And they were so worried they were going to get to like a sugar oh, cone. Wow. They hadn't eaten anything for months. And it was like, <laughs> oh my God, a bit of chocolate and some sugar. And he's going to go like a, a, a hyperactive <laughs> toddler on us because he hasn't eaten anything for weeks oh wow so um yeah but what's so. been the weirdest thing you've had to do oh god I should have thought you'd <laughs> ask me that I mean the egg was funny have I ever thought yeah I, a lot of raw meat I did I did a thing um it's Mowgli mm. it's like the jungle book but it was a Netflix version of yeah and he had to the little boy had to he was pulling like I, th- I think he scavenged I forget what what it was a dead something and then he, he's eating like a piece of raw steak or like whatever and that actually was marshmallow um oh. but I I worked out how to do it and then of course they were filming in South Africa so then I had to they had to find somebody in South Africa to make like the samples I'd made and it was sort of raspberry puree on like and the marshmallow and you had a lot of food coloring in it and then it just sort of um kind of with the if you put it in the fridge and it got like a kind of sugar so it went a bit liquidy so it looked more bloody and so yeah that that's weird uh yeah and I've done I've done like alien prison food with sort of tentacles and things and it it just uh you do sometimes have to think about it people often ring me and say we've got to do x y and z and I'm like okay I'll get back to you let me think about (laughs) that one for a minute (laughs) and 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 it's it's better now because in regards like vegans because there are so many more Mm. products now that uh, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and it's just, like, oh, he's a vegetarian. He's got to eat a bloody steak. And you're like, oh, my God. Now yeah, it's a lot it's easier to find vegetarian yeah. meat substitutes, things that look like they could be meat. And you can buy stuff like that in the supermarket, um, whereas it, it, you never used to be able to find anything. I mean, it has its limitations because it doesn't quite act the same way as on a pizza it's not going to do the same thing as mozzarella would but it at least it, it looks vaguely the same and yeah they'll eat it so um it's really fascinating yeah. what happened has anything I hope it hasn't for you but has anything gone massively wrong and then how do you sort of mitigate that if it does I'm trying to think if anything's gone really massively wrong oh I can think of one thing that <laughs> not exactly a massive it was it was a a film with a giant cake on it and this cake had to have a dead body in it so uh, uh, yeah Um, it was mostly (laughs) a model it was a sort of it was a comedy it was a silly comedy sort of Benny Hill kind of a cake and and it's it's a silly comedy but it was a period film but this cake had to have this dead body in it and they they were supposed to they only knew there was a dead body because they put the knife in to cut it and they oozes blood and um the, it was enormous it was mostly a prop cake but it was about three foot wide or like two and a half feet wide uh and I went in to have a meeting with the the prop guy about it uh and then they decided that it was going to be a fake cake completely it was because you know to hide the dead body and they just have a bit of sponge to sort of line it and I'm like, good, because that just looked too much for me to try and cope with trying to make that. So it then got handed to the prop maker. And then about a week before they shot it, they're like, oh, no, we do think we want an actual, uh, because there were sort of various different components of this cake. But there was a big round cake that went on top of it. We want a real cake. So oh my they days. went off, ordered a whole load of sponge 
like 12 inch square sponges from uh, Costco and then they stuck it together and uh, I was coming in with my assistant we were just going to cover it with icing and the prop makers used like a fake cream and it was made from um, talcum powder and shaving foam <laughs> and who knew it had a corrosive effect on sugar oh. so we're making royal icing to cover this thing and it was just sort of melting off so we're like oh this is not going to work and i'm like i would have used buttercream because buttercream is pretty tough uh, i mean this thing was enormous and ridiculous uh and i spent two days trying to cover this thing and at the end of it I've, it was sort of covered <laughs> Like it wasn't set and I we worked so hard and it I just never felt like we achieved anything I mean they shot it in the end uh and it worked uh and we tried covering it with fondant but you couldn't roll a piece out big enough to get over the top of this yeah. cake and there was nowhere to roll it. we didn't have enough a uh, big rolling we were trying to do it on the floor of this prop room and it was getting dirt all over the white and it was just horrible it was just it's just awful it's challenging sometimes so i mean i yeah. still have not got over the dead body in the cake part of the story yes. to well, be honest. <laughs> yes. this is when i often have conversations people ring up and said okay it's a cake there's gonna be a dead body in it and you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> right and yes it's the same set decoration i did it i filled with her last week so the next time she rings me if it's a cake i'm not having anything to do with it uh we did this enormous cake it was four tiers i think the bottom tier was like 18 inches and we covered it it was meant to be a giant cheesecake and literally they're shooting it the next day and we'd we'd decorated it and it had rose petals and and it was for a big sort of bollywood style new york wedding um and it, it looked beautiful and I finally got it ready and we're just sort of clearing up. And I come back on the set and my assistant is sitting there with the director, the producer and the set decorator. And I'm thinking, they've changed their minds. They don't want that. And they had, they're like, <sighs> we decided we don't want it to look like a giant cheesecake. I'm like, nah. we're shooting it tomorrow. And it wasn't just one cake. It was four cakes. And the set decorator kept going, it's four cakes. It's four cakes. Because uh, somebody was going to come out and smash it to pieces with a cricket bat. I mean, it, this is my life when you have conversations like that. And I'm like, well, what do you want? More like, you know, because it's meant to be, and we've done tests, dropping a giant a cheesecake. And yeah, so we didn't want the giant cheesecake. We wanted to look more like a traditional wedding cake. And I'm like, but you're shooting it on tomorrow. And that's royal icing and that's a lot more work. And that's just that. And, and we're like, well, what can we do? And uh, we then covered the whole thing in ombre buttercream roses. But I'm like, well, you can't shoot on it tomorrow, obviously. You'll have to schedule change because because uh, this cake is looking like a giant cheesecake with rose petals all down. going to be piping. But so we literally uh, we came in the next day and we we stayed till I think we stayed till about midnight. Uh, everyone else went home and we carried on icing this thing. Well, one or four cake so that we could do the shot the following day. Well, I mean, we got it done. Obviously, they couldn't do it the next day but they did it the following day. But we were still the following day. We'd left at midnight. We came back in again at six o'clock to do the last two two layers on the last two cakes because Aww. we just ran out of, yes, Paul Louise, my sister, I think she got a cramp in her hand from piping ombre roses. <laughs> she just oh, took gosh. weeks to get better. And it's like, we're not doing this again because, you know, you have a plan and you it's all in motion. Uh, and then they change their minds, um, which often happens. 
this, yeah but i'm like but that 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 does i'm sure it happens to everybody it, no yeah like, it does yeah. i just think when it's yes. something um because I guess with costume, with props, and there is obviously you do have those mad rushes to finish things and you're staying late and such. But I think when it's an element of, when it's food and it's something that can go off in that way, it's it's such a different it's, it's Yeah, a because different you thing. can't do it too far ahead. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, can't prep. I mean, if, it, if it's a fake polystyrene cake, yes, you can. But if it if it's something that edible, that you can't, yeah. you can't prep it the week before because it they're going to eat it, you can't. So... I mean, there's and you try and design it with that in mind. So if I'm doing a big display on like an 80 foot medieval banquet, I'll I'll think, well, I can do some of the sweetmeats or I can do some of it and I can make some fake pies and I can do it. So that will be I could do that ahead. But all the meat, all the vegetables, I'm going to have to. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to cook that in the, the two days beforehand. And especially if they're shooting it for a day or two days, you can't because it'll go off. So you can't have it in a fridge for a week and then put it out because then it'll start smelling. And yeah, so it all it's all last minute uh, and you just plan it and you 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 throw people at it, really. Um, hope, hope for the best. And, yeah. And hope for the best. <laughs> just in terms of prepping for you, then how do you Wednesday? You've got a, it's Friday and there's a seat. Oh, I'm not going to make up the days, but you've got a scene on Monday to shoot and it's uh, let's try and think like a like a regular uh say I was doing um like because there is no regular (laughs) uh say it was a a Georgian dinner for instance and you've got 12 actors and they start the scene and they all walk and they they sort of sit down and they're on the soup course that actually works for you because soup is nice and easy thing to repeat uh and Georgian food is very different to the way we eat now uh, is what they would call service à la fraise mm-hmm. as opposed to service à la russe, which is a whole technical food historian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the 18th century, they would dress beautiful dishes all down the centre of a table, uh, and they would all be there, and you'd look at them. So it was all about how wealthy am I? I can afford a rib of beef. Look at it, and it's beautiful in front of you. So you'd, you'd have it on the table all and you'd sit down, you'd have your soup course, and then they 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 had what they called removes. So that's your your like your main first meat course. It's all sitting congealing in front of you as you eat your soup. You take away your oh. soup, then they bring in the fish, you eat the fish, take that, and then you eat what's in front of you. And then they'll take that away and bring out another course. So I will have found out from the set deck, how big is the table? That's always my first question. How big is the table? How many actors? What are the dietary requirements? What course? What have we decided they're going to be eating? Uh, sometimes they'll say, oh, they want them to be eating the main course. So you'll, you'll have designed um, dishes in front of them. And the, the, we say they're going to be on beef with vegetables. Uh, so I'll have cooked everything that I can then get there and dress the platters that got to go in front of them and make them look beautiful and we might cut into some of them like they've half eaten it then you then you yeah. cook enough to do repeats because you're going to have to redress their plates all day so I I will work out how much is going on the table uh, I will send a plan to the set deck department saying this is what I'm going to do I might send some pictures references of, of other stuff I've done that this is what I think it's going to look like and you'll put some pretty things on there as well I mean I often say to them dessert because dessert is very pretty you can get lovely display pieces I, I bet 
in terms of what happens to that all that because I imagine the actors don't necessarily eat all of it what happens to it afterwards um well yeah com- sometimes you get to the the end of a scene and you think well we're done uh like I recently did uh it was a it was a scene where he, he's eating a brownie it was like like a coffee shop but it was more like a coffee a coffee van and but oh, then okay. it had all these cakes like display cakes that they had had repeats for the extras to eat uh, and sandwiches and then we were only shooting for one day and they actually wrapped really early which is very unusual and there were so many cakes left over and I'm just handing them out to everybody go please take them home please you know <laughs> and just the crew and, and it was a Saturday just here take it and we had these sort of disposable takeaway boxes load up your box here you are I've cut everything <laughs> up just take whatever you want take the red velvet cake take the chocolate brownies please because you know oh that sounds like a nice job yeah. to have been on <laughs> it was. I th- yes I think that that's a bonus for the crew it doesn't often happen yeah but yes you kind of think I don't want to throw it in the bin I don't want to take it home because I'll only eat it and god there's only so much I can eat I know I was going to say is um you must have to do you have to do a lot of taste testing because I, I imagine although in in some of the things obviously that you're making for the taste isn't necessarily the the least it's the least, the least thing you, yes I mean when I first started doing this I I was like what do you mean you don't matter what it tastes like because some, <laughs> most of the time they don't eat it I, I mean if the actors are actually going to eat it you're mm. like well I'm going to make it taste nice because why make it horrible for them that's just yeah, awesome. you know but if it's just going to be dressed on a sideboard or display only I mean you don't need to make it just make it look pretty uh it really doesn't matter because I did train I went to Leith School of Food One I did train and I'm like oh okay that's a bit of a concept change when I first started (laughs) doing it but okay the because the, the flavor is the least important part of it the the look of it is really More that's important. the whole point yeah yeah that's my job is to make food look pretty or or in some cases not look pretty just the other week I had to do gray slop oh um, the like most, prison uh, food <laughs> yes well no it wasn't really it was uh I mean I won't tell you what it was for oh yeah the direction for from the director was as revolting as possible oh nice and, okay <laughs> I mean, it tasted fine. It was just leek and potato soup with bits added to it. Uh, but the look of it, I did feel sorry. Poor actor. Oh. <laughs> uh, because, you know, somehow just when you look at something, it looks ghastly. It, it makes you feel like it's going to take ghastly, even yeah. if it doesn't. It's, yeah, so, yeah, that's true. So sometimes you, you do. And sometimes you've got to uh, make a cake that looks like a 10 year old's made it. Like he's done a really mm. bad icing job, uh, which is a lot harder than you think. Mm. You think, oh, well, that'll be easy. But it's not because yeah. you, you're, you're so used to make it I'm like oh no I will try and do it with my left hand and I'm right-handed to make it look really bad so <laughs> um you did mention obviously that you went to the Leith school is that am I saying that correctly yes um, Leith school you're truly oh my gosh bake-off lady Prudy yes the bake-off ah, lady yes. she, she had uh, I mean she's she's been around a long time but she she has this very famous uh, cookery school ah. which I went to many many years ago yes I see well that <laughs> lends nicely on to my next question is how did you get into this world how did I get into well I didn't really intend to do I for first firstly I didn't know that this was a job I had no idea but I I did the cookery school I did a number of courses I mean when I was really young I wanted to be a scriptwriter, but that was a that's a whole other discussion because my father was in the film industry he was a director of photography that's amazing um, you do find quite a lot on film sets I don't know whether you've come across there's a lot of people whose parents they it's like a family yeah. business you somehow yeah. I never intended to go into the film industry I sort of but you get sucked in 
somehow <laughs> yeah so my dad was a GP so I, I kind of grew up on film sets or trying to avoid film sets really <laughs> because I thought god they're dull dull places and, and my mother was like you've got to go and visit your dad and I'm gonna do my afternoon and go to the film sets really boring <laughs> um but uh sometimes it wasn't it wasn't that bad whereas my brother loved it and he's now a first AD so go figure so I wanted to be a scriptwriter and I did have a, a short film made. And whilst I was trying to get things off the ground, I worked for a location catering company. And that's a, they're, they're the people who feed film crews. Mm. Um, and I did that for a few years. And I met a woman called Debbie Brody, who was a designer at the BBC for like 17 years. And she decided in her 30s she was going to change a career. And she retrained, also went to Leith's and retrained as a chef and she was going to open a restaurant. And she decided uh, that was kind of, I think there was like when the 80s recession um, hit the first one. And oh. she's like, it's not a good time to open a restaurant. A friend of hers was doing a costume drama and said, I've had a quote for someone doing the food. If you can do it cheaper, the job's yours. So she, she did that and then thought, well, I don't know, this is an interesting way. So she'd been doing uh, prop foods for films for a few years when I met her. And I met her on a, a weird pop video. It was a mad, as many pop videos are. It was, it was lots of people eating with, I don't even remember the group or what the song was, <laughs> uh, but it was lots of people at a sort of dining room table eating bizarre things. And I just got chatting to her and she took my number and I thought she'll never call. And about three months later, she did because she was getting married and she was doing a film. And there was one scene she couldn't do because it, clash with her wedding and so um she she's like I'll show you how to do it and it was sort of start a course uh, like a wedding uh and it was four weddings and a funeral so that was my very <gasps> oh. first job as a food stylist standing in for Debbie doing one of the weddings um I did the wedding where Hugh Grant turns up with all his exes are on the table uh so yeah I think you see a bread roll that's it <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh this is interesting and so I then started working as her assistant and basically did that for a number of years and then did the same thing that I do with my assistants if I I take on more than one film and if I clash I'd stand in for her she retired I kind of took over so it started getting um quite bigger bigger and bigger projects I mean when I first started with Debbie it was an awful lot of BBC historical dramas mm. um and episodes of Midsummer Murders and that kind of thing <laughs> and then then we started doing uh I think the very first film I remember working with her on was was a very odd film called Two Deaths that was directed by Nicholas Rogue and it had Michael Gambon and Sonia Braga in it and it was all set around this um dinner party uh but it was a bit odd and a bit macabre and we were so excited because oh my god it's an actual film as opposed to lots of tv uh and then I don't know it just because she was um she came from a design background as opposed to just a food background yeah she just had an eye of how to make a food display more than than it had been because up to that point it's mostly the props would do the food and it was not that wasn't really a thing or they'd hire like a restaurant or something so she kind of made it into more of an art form and and it got bigger and bigger I mean we did Shakespeare in Love and I remember doing Elizabeth with her the Kate Blanchett film uh, directed by Shekhar Kapoor and it was like big Tudor banquets and big Tudor displays of things it just got bigger and it, it's now become a thing that there is someone like me generally on a food scene they'll hire a home economist I, I think 
art department seeing the value of it yeah to have a display and to have that added um so visually you can make a statement with the food and it can add to the set and to the ambience and also it's a, a sort of risk assessment food hygiene thing that you have someone who's really in charge of it and is going to make sure that you don't risk giving food poisoning to your actors. Of course, um, yeah. That, you know, that they know what they're doing and they, they've got proper insurance and proper health and safety. And because I do, I make sure that, that it's all kept at a temperature, that it's never out on set that long, that we keep changing the food, you know, so nobody is at risk for anything, which seems fairly obvious, but... It's important, uh, yeah. But... It's very important because, yeah. you know, you, you you think about they just would just bung it anything on their plate. No, because if they eat it and get food poisoning, that's the whole film going down. Yeah. So we don't want that at no. all. <laughs> um, so and, and in these days of COVID, um, it's even more important. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, because all the, all the strictures on the poor caterers are all behind perspex screens now and all of us are eating. And it feels to me, because you used to eat on a dining bus and now, now you eat in a, in a marquee with all the tables separate. It feels like you're in, a, in, in an examination. Yeah. <laughs> so I sit on my little table, I feel like I'm taking a test. It's really odd. But, it is. It is know. a weird experience. Um, <laughs> it is a weird experience. We'll see yeah. how, it, how it goes forward, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, what's the most common food that you have to make? Um, I don't know. Not breakfast, I suppose. Okay. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I I do the Crown, and I've done all four seasons of the Crown, which I just I love. So nice. Crown. Yeah. So <laughs> it's such a great show, and it's just the nicest show to work on. Everyone is just so lovely. Um, and there's a lot of breakfast. Uh, you do breakfast scenes. I think tea and breakfast on the Crown mm-hmm. more than anything else. And I often find that you can do like a huge 80 foot of medieval banquet um, that um, you think, oh God, that'd be hard work. And it's, and it is, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. but that's easy. And then you just literally a breakfast scene with scrambled egg on toast and it's a nightmare. Um, I mean, I did that on, on a film called Allied, which was Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard. And uh, she's she may or may not be a spy. He, they do a mission. He falls in love. They get married. But she could be a German spy. And uh, it was a, a scene with uh, them in their little kitchen with the baby. And the baby was the issue. Uh, and she's she's dishing up breakfast. She He's feeding the baby a bit of porridge. And she's putting a, a spoonful of eggs on her plate and a spoonful of eggs on his ground, uh, piece of toast on his plate. And there's a whole load of dialogue about, you know, oh, these are our chickens because it was the Second World War. So they had their uh. own chickens that were having them laying their own eggs. And then she spoons out the, the scrambled egg and he just then takes a bite. And that's the end of the scene. And that's simple. It's just toast, scrambled eggs. But this baby, every it was happy, happy baby. We're just we're going, you know, bouncy, bouncy baby. And as soon as they went action, it just (laughs) cried on every take. And I had just and they had two babies, so they had twins, so baby Uh one, baby two. And they both did it. They're like, (laughs) they tried for like 40 minutes for the first baby, and then let's get baby two to come in. And I had an hour and a half of just 
And because scrambled eggs, it, they go cold, they're horrible. So yeah. you have to keep doing it. And I had three frying pans that looked ex- uh, the same. So there's one on set. I had one ready to go and I'm doing one as they're going for a take. And then they, and, and I'm right close to the set, but I'm not on it. So I can't actually, because at one point the director's going, ah, action, like whispering. So we don't want to disturb the baby, but uh... it didn't make any difference. So I had an AD next to me who was sort of, cueing me going okay they're turning so be quiet because I couldn't put the toast down to cook it because oh. up on tape. so I'd have to in between try and make the toast and then stir the scrambled egg really slowly okay we're going for a take really quickly and just an hour and a half of absolute uh, by the end of it I was exhausted <laughs> uh, and I kept bumping into that AD and he's like not scrambled eggs today I'm like don't shut up about it <laughs> if I never have to make scrambled eggs again I'll be happy think that would be easy it's always the things you kind of don't think about that'll end up being complicated yeah. especially when you throw a baby or something like oh, that into well, the mix yes. get... babies can sometimes or animals yes. and they gave after an hour and a half they gave up we're not gonna we had to go back i think we shot it three times before they got enough because i don't know what it was about <laughs> this particular scene because it was a lovely baby and most of the time it was just but this particular just not happy not happy at all <laughs> I have a very random question because I feel like I get this um being in the costume department and if you ever go to a costume party people expect you to be dressed to the nines have an amazing costume and rarely it's the case because yeah, I mean because you don't want to do it yourself I don't want to do it myself and I don't showing. I don't really yeah. like I'm sweatpants, yeah exactly <laughs> do you ever have that is it friends or family I mean it, it may not be the polite to you is that well, do people expect if you're putting on a dinner party or cooking something for someone or making a cake do people expect something unfairly of you no so much of that that uh, quite a few of my friends joke because they know I, I use polystyrene. It's like, is it a real cake? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> it is the real cake. Yes. Uh, people do say to you on sets, oh my God, you must eat. Fabulous. I'm like, no, take away pizza, pasta. Yeah. I'm like, because if you've been cooking all day, mm. the last thing you feel like doing when you've stopped cooking is cooking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm not going to cook my own dinner. Yeah, I've been cooking, I've been slaving over the kitchen all day. I'm just exhausted. I'm ordering a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah um I, I, that is one of the weird things about lockdown i did find uh because of course i like everybody else in the film it didn't work for like four and a half five months mm-hmm. um i was like i'm going to just cook some recipes out of the many 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 cookbooks that i own and never use <laughs> and i'm just gonna i'm gonna cook this and i'm gonna cook that so um and i remember how much i do like to cook yeah i don't like doing it for my job but but you do sort of forget like this the sheer joy of just cooking um yeah yeah it's because then it's not a slog like oh i've got a long list i've got to cook all of this by the end of today because it's got to be on set tomorrow so yeah yeah. it's not a task in the same way yeah no it's just fun yeah Yeah. um so that brings me nicely onto my final question which is what are your three favorite to watch recommendations well it's a tough one to figure out just three but i'm going to go for a film called harvey which is a it's an old film with jimmy stewart in it um and i i think that i mean i could pick a lot of old films because i'm old enough to remember when 
the, the times when we didn't have a, a myriad of streaming services yeah. and DVDs and you had to watch what was on TV when it was on TV. And as a child, uh, they used to have the Saturday matinee, which I think they probably still do on BBC Two, and they'd play old movies. And I would just watch whatever, whatever it was, I would oh. watch it because it was on TV. Uh, as a result, I watched an awful lot of black and white movies and a lot of very obscure films. And uh, this is a, it's just a sweet film. He's a sort of mildly eccentric middle-aged man whose best friend is an invisible six-foot-tall white rabbit called Harvey, oh. which is, I would highly recommend everyone. It's just a sweet, uh, he's just a lovely, charming character. And you never see the rabbit. It's, he just talks to it. And, but by the end of the film, you can almost imagine that the rabbit is real. Um, and uh, he causes a lot of consternation for his family. And his his sister tries to get him committed to oh. a psychiatric asylum, and she turns into a bit of a madcap comedy because she then gets committed to the asylum, and then it all gets ironed out. Uh, but it's a charming film, so I would recommend that. Yeah, yeah. sounds like a nice yeah, film. I would. Yeah, it is black and white, and I do. I that is the one thing I would say about streaming services. I wish they would play older films because there's lots of old movies I'd love to see again. Uh, I mean, there's the classics like Casablanca that nobody's heard of, but things like Harvey, I think some people will have heard of, but the younger generation were like, what is she talking about? And I know my <laughs> nieces and nephews were, they were, if it's in black and white, they won't watch it. And I think that's, you're missing out on such a, a wealth of beautiful, fabulous films. But anyway, Harvey. My next film is a film called Sweet Liberty that was actually one of my father's films. Oh. And it's about the making of a film. And it's written and directed by Alan Alder, who um, he, some people will have heard of him. He's still around. Uh, he was the star of a sitcom called MASH that was the, one of the longest running American sitcoms. But he he just the nicest, sweetest man. Uh, uh, and I do because I went on the set when I was a kid um, and it was just a lovely summer in Long Island in America. But he plays a... Um, a small town uh, history professor who writes a book and then Hollywood buy the book and they uh, are adapting it into a film starring Michael Caine and Michelle Pfeiffer. And they all come to town, this big film company, and it's basically, they, they change his book. Uh, uh, they make it into this big budget, silly, um, romantic film that it's all set during the Re Revolutionary War. And it's kind of about... It's a comedy about the making of a film because at one point he says, yes, I'm, I'm the author of the book the film is not based on. Uh, I mean, Michael Caine's terribly funny and he's playing this very uh, flirty, over-the-top Hollywood actor who does his own, all his own stunts and, and just... And Michelle Pfeiffer, she's a method actress. It's charming and funny um, and it, it's a, about the filmmaking process but gently poking fun at it. And then the last film I would choose is a film I worked on that's the version of Pride and Prejudice directed by Joe Wright. Um, and it, it was a toss-up between that and Emma because Jane Austen is my favourite writer. I love um, you, same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Pride and Prejudice is my favourite book. And, I mean, they could do an adaptation of that every year and I'd watch. Same, <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> uh, um, but I just, uh, it's a lovely film. It's, it's beautifully directed. It was Joe Wright's first film. Um, I mean, he does lots of TV things, but uh, and I just remember being on the set thinking, oh God, he's really talented. Uh, <laughs> he's going to go far because he just seemed so self possessed and he just knew what he was doing. And to see someone so young to be just so good. And it's just, it's a lovely adaptation. Um, oh. And it, I, 
just remember working on it. It always seemed to be sunny when I was on set. <laughs> it never rained. It was a lovely summer. It's just a lovely period in history to do the food. Some lovely locations. It just I just have happy memories of it. And I, I just think it's a lovely film based on mm. my favourite book. So those oh. are my recommendations. Thank you, Catherine, for your recommendations. And thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been super interesting to hear about what you do. It's been really, really interesting. Okay, you're welcome. And thank you for asking me. <laughs> Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Catherine. Tune in to the next episode where I'll be speaking to costume standby Lizzie Maul. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.